Have you ever wanted to be the first to know if aliens really exist? Well, with Nebula, you can be! Nebula is the streaming service that's home to its Probably Not Aliens, as well as our YouTube channels. And the best part? All of our content goes up early on Nebula. So when we break first contact with E.T., you'll be the first to find out. That's right, you'll be able to listen to the next episode of this show before anyone else. Plus, we post bonus content that you won't find any other place. And the best part? By signing up for Nebula at nebula.tv slash probablynotaliens, you're directly supporting the show and both of us. So don't wait any longer. Join Nebula today and be the first to know if this time it really is aliens. I feel like we've spent a lot of time talking about whether or not aliens are real to the point yeah. where um, tonight I kind of wanted to ask how you might react or how you think mm. the world will react the time when it actually is aliens. Now, are aliens showing up or did we like find evidence of them out and like, did we find them are they peaceful? Like, you gotta give me... Because there's gonna be a different reaction based That's off true. of... In this hypothetical scenario, they just show up and they haven't done much yet. <laughs> my first thought was, do I cancel my therapy appointment or is this good fodder for it today? <laughs> How would you react? Probably, honestly, this is the sad part about everything. I'd probably react like I did the day the queen died, which is just I'd post a lot about it and I'd just probably look at Twitter that's all actually, day. <laughs> that's the most realistic. I would just be browsing Twitter or whatever social I'd be on you know I'd be hitting up Mastodon yeah see what the Mastos are doing it would be one of the most profound events in human history which means that people would start making amazing shit posts about it within seconds memes immediate memes my my theory is that society would get over it a lot would would lose interest in it a lot faster than we think oh yeah I think I said on the podcast before that like we'll discover life on an alien planet like far enough away that we'll never actually be able to contact them Uh in our lifetimes. But like verifiably exists. Yes. And then we're going to send a message and there's going to be a big deal about that. And then all of our favorite science YouTubers are going to make a video about every single part of it for a while. And then Uh people will move on to something else. Yeah. And then like (laughs) Marvel's going to drop a new trailer and everyone's like, let's talk about this. Guardians of the galaxy just did their trailer for the third one. That looks pretty fun. I mean, like, you know, I'm, I'm already like, can we make the podcast about that instead of aliens today? Yo, Scott, I, I know, I bet you know about this and I'm blown away. So Google has like a whole algorithm that's, this actually is apropos or germane to the conversation we're having right now. Okay. Um, so Google has a whole thing on Android phones that basically gives you like a little tab where it gives you algorithmically generated like news stories that things you're interested in. Yeah, based off of you. Okay. Yeah. And it gives me like YouTube uh, links a lot too. Yeah. And it's it keeps giving me like not like the video, but like sort of pre- uh, previews of the video because it kind of auto plays in silent. Yeah. From a YouTube channel called Screen Culture. And I'm like, always like, oh, trailer for the 2024 movie. And then I'm like, oh, it's all fake. They, this, this, this YouTube channel just makes fake trailers by cutting together pieces of movies and other trailers. 
to make like trailers for real movies that are theoretically coming out like a year or two from now. Well, who would do who would who would take so much time and energy to make something feel legitimate when it isn't and like make everyone freak out? Who would do that? Who would who what scoundrel? Well, boy, do we have a good conversation tonight. By the way, before we get into the show, I want to uh, introduce a, a, a scoundrel of sorts. Uh, a wonderful, a wonderful, wonderful, like uh, one of my best friends, Dr. Eamon Chen. Hello. I, I want to push back on the scoundrel uh, thing, though. <laughs> I have never once in my life cut together a fake trailer and posted on posted that on the internet. So mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I didn't do it. You're not screen culture? I am not screen culture, unfortunately. Fair enough. But tonight we are doing a uh, an episode on people not being able to tell the difference between fact and fiction, fake news, mass hysteria, and our inability to reckon with the powers of new media forms. And yeah. there's nobody better to reach out to than my friend Eamon Chen here. Dr. Chen is a researcher who studies specifically trolling behavior, internet pranksterdom, but then also has done extensive research on fake news, misinformation, and also knows a fair bit about Orson Welles. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if all of those things are connected and related, but uh, yeah, I guess guilty as charged. That is my jam. I'm into all the weird and wacky stuff that goes on on the internet, and a lot of it tends to be of uh, questionable morality and good taste. Like you said, my name is Eamon Chen. I was, up until recently, working on my PhD in the Faculty of Information and Media Studies at the University of Western Ontario. And for that, I studied internet trolling and basically what it is that we all talk about when we talk about internet trolling, because it seemed to me literally everyone was using that word to describe a different thing. I thought perhaps that was why it was so hard to get a handle on all the stuff that goes online because no one can agree what to call it. That's interesting. And also we used to work together on the uh, the grad student radio show back in the day, almost 10 years ago when we started doing that because we're old now. 10 years ago in the 1990s, right? Yep, yep, yep. Yep. <laughs> But first, we should probably mention that in case people weren't noticed, this is a podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a podcast called it's Probably Not Aliens, where we look into ancient astronaut theory and uh, also just like UFOs and in, in spooky, you know, paranormal science, pseudoscience stuff. And we look into it, mostly debunk it while uh, learning about the real world history behind really cool people, places, and things. And my name is Scott. I know nothing. I don't know anything. My job is to know nothing and to show up and to learn. And I'm I'm glad to do that. And my name is Tristan Johnson. And I uh, somehow make this happen every week. Yeah, we record on Thursdays, which on the internet is like Thirsty Thursdays. And I don't know what that's supposed to mean on the internet because I didn't look into it. But I think it means that people are thirsty for knowledge. And that's mm-hmm. why I'm here. Is It's a Thirsty Thursday for Scott. Scott's Thirsty Thursday. I heard that if you're, if you're on Thirsty Thursday, if you're like in a dry place, you might find a mirage that looks like water, but it's not. They call it a thirst trap. It's as far as I know, that's trap. what this is. I trust you. Um, so today's topic is an interesting one. It's probably one that most of you have heard of, but not too much about. But then again, I don't know for sure, because I don't know. I, I think we've learned earlier that I don't know what is common knowledge and what isn't, both by 
what common knowledge I should have but don't and what people other people don't think is common knowledge but I do like who made the thing and uh, <laughs> and who Florence Pugh is or whatever correct I found out who Florence Pugh is now though good she's good. the person who was in the the Hawkeye she's uh, what's it called it's supposed to be Scarlett Johansson's sister in the Marvel movies yeah, right? yeah that's one way to yeah she's done other things but that's one of them yeah that's all I know I her from I think she's great um, so today we're going to talk about uh, sort of a very interesting thing to talk about with the in reference to the current moment that we are in, especially when it comes to what is reality, what is what is fake and real, and all of these kinds of things, and that has to do with the famous War of the Worlds broadcast uh, that happened in 1938. Are you familiar with this, Scott? I'm loosely familiar. I know about about it. Like I know, not even about it. I know like around it. You know what I mean? Like I know that it exists. Here's what I think I know. Also, how about this? This is what every episode should start with. Here's what I think I know about yeah, Scott's this. Scott's corner. <laughs> yeah. I've heard that this is, it's like a, a radio production and it was fake, obviously, but there, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but what I think I know is that some people thought it was real and it freaked everybody. It freaked some people out. That's what I think. And it was about like an alien invasion. You got a, you got a good chunk of what the general story is. All right, cool. This is an interesting one because like, first of all, just to settle this right now, H aliens did not claim it actually was aliens. Okay. I don't <laughs> think they the would That's not the way have. they went this time. For them, it wasn't a dramatization. It was like a reenactment. They were just oh, like, God. this did happen, but here's a reenactment of it. No. Uh, so here's, here's the kind of verdict of what's going on tonight or sort of the the question that's being put before us for judgment tonight ancient aliens talked about the war of the world's broadcast specifically about how it was a simple radio broadcast that was fiction that caused a nationwide panic and because Mm. of this ancient aliens makes the case that it could be that humanity is not prepared for first contact and that if we oh. actually do make contact with aliens it's going to be a scary disastrous scenario where everyone's going to freak out and that's why if we did if like the government or whatever right knew that aliens existed that's why everyone has those theories about like they're keeping it from us they're keeping it from us because if if we knew mm-hmm. it would be think about war of the world it would be just like that exactly um so that is that is the totality of ancient aliens this argument and um i when i heard that instantly i was like wait a minute i am tristan johnson who has a master's degree in american history and specifically um i did what are called comprehensive exams i never finished my phd but they do you do this thing about two years in where you have to read like a hundred books and then write like two week-long tank home exams basically writing an essay about it and mm-hmm. I, one of the subjects I did was specifically technology and communications history. So the War of the Worlds features pretty heavily. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, that's not how it, that's not how it do. That's, that's definitely, this is one of those ones where there's a big myth and then there's a, a ah, gap between that and the reality here. I thought, of, I thought so. Well, let's get into it. So I guess we should first start by going to the broadcast. So um, first of all, Orson Welles, the director of this show, was a whopping 23 years old when this happened. So keep in mind, the person who's running this radio drama is 23 years old. He had a company of voiceover actors uh, named the Mercury Theater Company. And 
They had this show that wasn't super, super popular because there was a much more popular show on a different network, which in a very 1930 sense was apparently a ventriloquist show. Oh. And I don't know how ventriloquism translates to radio super on the great. Ra- yeah, on yeah. the radio? <laughs> yeah. How does that work? But they, but people were really into that. Uh-huh. So that, so this show didn't get a lot of attention. And for Halloween, they decided that they were going to adapt the famous 19th century novel, uh, War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. Okay. Now, the thing is, Wells already had a pretty good reputation in radio. He had already been doing this for several years. He notably was the a very famous voice of of a character called the shadow oh. which is sort of like an early like pretty much like a pre-comic yeah, pre-comic pulp hero. book pulp yeah. hero yeah i think they made a movie about him in the 90s or something that was very bad 10 years ago so the original voice of the shadow was orson wells in his 20s mm-hmm. and one of the things he decided to do for their halloween special was do this adaptation and make it a little bit different okay um he did a couple things first he needed to localize it because the War of the Worlds takes place in the UK. All right. Where basically the the, the general plot is Martians invade Britain, uh, destroy a bunch of stuff, and uh, get close to basically destroying mankind and conquering the world before uh, essentially human microbes kill them and they All die. Right. And then so through no nothing of our efforts, they die. And we're like, oh. We are small and weak in this vast universe and all that kind of stuff. So they had to move it to, uh, they decided to move it from London to New Jersey, like you do. I love it. At the beginning of the show, they did make disclaimers saying, this is fiction, this isn't real. But here's the thing that made it clever, is that they start, the first line of the musical, or the first not line of the pl- of the radio play. Okay is basically uh it's it basically sounds like your average like music show like it was like now here's like the ballroom dancing of these people and then like plays music for like a few minutes right just imagine it with your with with your brain you could actually listen to the entire war of the world's broadcast on youtube if you really want to hear it so oh cool yeah it's all there this is this is a, a classic in media studies uh stuff like it's a huge deal in the media studies would it freak but me out if i listen it's kind of cool is... to listen to okay it's yeah, pretty yeah, entertaining yeah. for something that came out in the 30s cool. um but then like as the things go as like the the music and the show's going on then like all of a sudden they're like ladies and gentlemen we interrupt our dance program to uh bring you a special bulletin that martians have landed in new jersey <gasps> and so what happens is that apparently some studies thought that some people missed the notices about it being fictional because Basically, what happened was is that more popular show with ventriloquist Edgar Bergen was on at the same time on CBS. Yeah. Or sorry, was on NBC. They were on CBS. Can't miss the ventriloquism. Yeah. But then uh, apparently they, um, they, they, the sketch ended and another musical number started and it was not as good. And so everybody changed channels oh. to the other channel of the four the four radio networks that were at the time. That'll happen. People are people just want the ventriloquism. Did you you hear recently Jeff Dunham? Jeff Dunham, famous. Oh yeah, ventriloquist. That, that, that asshole. He, yeah, he made a he made a joke, pretty good joke. He talked. He made a joke about uh, participation trophies. Oh man, so pretty timely. Pretty the peak interest, of comedy. 
pretty a pretty edgy comedy going on here. So he I can very, see he make, he's very clever in the way that he writes jokes. Like I like the one joke that it's um the joke is that that he's that he's a jalapeno and he has a Mexican accent. I like that and one. That, that one's that, pretty that good. That is the joke. That is the entire joke. That one's pretty interesting. It really makes you think um, when you when you get that. So I the, all that to say, I get why people would just be like, I just want the ventriloquist, and if it's not good, I'm gonna change the change the channel. I like legit lost a friend when I was an undergrad because she was a really big fan of Jeff Dunham, and I was like, you're kind of stupid. Then <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> And she never talked to me again. <laughs> Every time she tried to talk, she would just have to throw her voice to get to talk to you. She would just oh, be no. like, talk, talk to the, talk to the hand, but it's like a hand puppet. Yeah. So I guess like the story goes is that a bunch of people were listening to this more popular show than this less popular segment came on. So they all switched over to CBS to listen to the war, the what's going on on there. And they missed all the disclaimers saying that it was fiction. Ah, yes. And then all they heard was what felt, what sounded like, a broadcast of an alien invasion happening in New Jersey. Because, mm-hmm. like, what what can't you do in New Jersey? Everything's <laughs> going on in New Jersey. Everything's legal in New Jersey. Even Martians are legal in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, so then what happens is that, the, but the thing is, like, it even goes to another level. And this shows that there's actually, like, a lot of cleverness in the writing, if you think about it. This is very meta for, like, the 30s. That they have, like, the news bulletin saying, like, like I, if you listen to it, it goes for, like, 10 minutes because, you know, they don't care about uh, wasting people's time back then. And so, like, they'll be like, oh, yes, like, we've just gotten a report from this person saying that there's activities seen on the planet Mars. And then back to the show. And then there'll be music playing for a while. And then another news bulletin will come in and be like, oh, we've spotted something even closer. Like, like it's like a real news broadcast. That's really fun. Yeah, it was very clever. Uh, and so after that happened, about half an hour later, apparently they noticed that uh, they started to get telephones coming into the studio and uh, somebody came in looking like they were pale as death and ordered to immediately interrupt the broadcast to announce that this was fiction. <laughs> and apparently, but apparently that was, uh, it was less than a minute away from their scheduled breaks. So they just kind of just kept, went with their schedule. But they said that uh, there's references to like policemen started showing up. And being like, what the hell's going on? There was a 2018 Radio Lab documentary about this. Oh. And according to them, they believe that about 12 million people listened to the broadcast. And most of them got the joke. M- but m- most is not all, Tristan. Yeah, 12 million people is a lot of people. If you consider that one out of every 12 people didn't get the joke, which is what surveys found afterwards, that means about 20% or 1 million people ran one, out of their homes with towels whole, over their faces, clutching their children and breaking limbs. A whole 1 million people. So, and the thing, though, is what makes it even worse is that then everyone decided to run away and panic, not getting to the second half of the broadcast, Were which they, is yeah. not done in an eidetic fashion or in a uh, diegetic fashion uh, and instead is just like a radio drama of a survivor uh-huh. dealing with the aftermath of the invasion and everything like that. What is up with the people? I mean, can we just say this is, it all started because they tur- they tur- they didn't listen to the whole thing of the, they were like, I'm going to skip away from the ventriloquist and I'm going to go over here. I mean, they're channel surfing. This is what's wrong with the world these days, Tristan. People's attention span. You know what I mean? I don't know. And this was like, you know, 90 years ago almost. Yeah. I'm practicing my material to write for Jeff Dunham. Was that good? Oh, boy. Yeah. Our guest next week, Jeff Dunham. Jeff Dunham. Um, 
kids these days. Uh, iPhones. Uh, now I'm bringing on my next puppet, an old man who hates his wife. Yeah, classic comedy. Classic comedy. Dr. Doctor Chen, is this considered trolling? Well, you know, as a uh, doctor in trolling, yes, mm-hmm. I can confirm, Scott, that this, I would consider it an act of trolling. They are, uh, you know, pulling one on to their audience. It's a... Uh, uh, there are some very obvious, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sort of uh, moments here where, if I remember right, there, like like you were saying, Tristan, there were a couple of times where the broadcast literally, literally said that this is a work of fiction, you know, not even aliens want to go to New Jersey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it is, you know, like many other uh examples of trolling if you lose the context if you lose the little hints that the person who's doing this may not be entirely forthright and honest and telling you the truth then you can very well possibly uh fall for what they're trying to pull over you kind of gives me the vibe of like this new genre of meme on twitter which is just to make the most realistic but still funny fake looking fake news story and make it look like a headline from a real website and stuff like that. There's there was a whole there's been years of a tradition of mocking up fake Apple like features to try and get people to break their new products. Like it'll be like the new iPhone iPhone can charge in the microwave. Yeah, that was a (laughs) that was a pretty big one. There's a long history of these sorts of pranks. I mean, I remember back in the day, people would tell you to go and Delete your system, what, system 32 folder on Windows, mm. which uh, from what I understand is necessary for the entire operating system to work. But oh, it's important. You could uh, mm. you could just get rid of that and, and it'll go faster. So they said on the Internet. Yeah. Or like, you know, to uh, like they'll say, like, if you want to release the fog of war in Starcraft, you just put the shortcut as Alt F4. Oh, yes. So, so like, that's the main thrust of, like, what people think the War of the Worlds broadcast is. But historians, uh, especially historians of communications, culture, technology, and also people who do media studies have picked apart the War of the Worlds broadcast. And there might be some alternate ways to look at what happened. And I can tell you guys... Please do. But... But... After this... Oh, no! Um, so kind of getting to the War of the Worlds. Yeah. There's a, fu- there's a bunch of ways to talk about it. Uh, and, and what we look at is, one, uh, the sort of claiming that this was like this unique, strange event has uh, misses like who they're talking to, who really trumped up this, this whole panic. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, the context of what was going on at the time. So the first part I guess to talk about is that there's a lot of debate over whether there were actually a lot of people who really bought into this. Okay. Because when it did happen, there was announcements made that there were hysteria breakouts all over the country and that there were scholars talking about it. But it seems that most of the, t- most of the people who study it today have come to the conclusion that the idea that it was like this nationwide panic is probably probably very overblown and probably not as significant as reported. Fair enough. Just a little exaggerated. Yeah, because saying that 12 million people listened to the broadcast and that like a million people freaked out is sort of overblown. Like people are thinking that fewer people actually watched it because it wasn't that popular of a show and that fewer still well, yeah, uh, panicked. Oh yeah, the ventriloquist was on. Yeah. 
Um, apparently, the night the, the program aired, a rating service was doing a lot of its like you know phone call interviews, saying, "Hey, what are you listening to tonight?" Oh, and only two percent of people said that they were watching a radio play or the Orson Welles program or something like that. They were listening to CBS. Okay, what a what good timing to get that fresh data. And at the, also, even so, uh, nobody who was interviewed said that they were listening to the news. So even people who were listening to him were oh. saying they were listening to a radio play. They didn't say they were listening to like a news broadcast or anything like that. Yeah, like they get a call. What are you listening to? It's like, why are you still working? We're being invaded. 98% of people surveyed were listening to something else or nothing at all. Mm-hmm. And that's because it had the ultimate fate that a lot of shows get, which is that it was on at a time when another channel was having a much more popular show. I.e., mm. the, the Edgar Burgeon's Chase and Sandburn Hour which was basically a comedy variety show that had a puppet. <laughs> yeah, a puppet on the radio. I'm still I'm still trying so hard to figure it out. Now, do we think these numbers could be skewed a little bit because if people were thinking that it was real, they would they pro- they would not pick up the phone to talk to, to someone. Oh, I guess there is that case. Yeah, there is a yeah. selection bias there, isn't there? Yeah. Um well, there is a there is a there is a working theory as to why Actually, we think of this nationwide hysteria as being a thing. Okay. And it all has to do with what happened the next day, October 31st, 1938. Oh, spooky. Where a big headline talking about the War of the Worlds hysteria graced the front of the New York Times, the gray lady herself. And in the article talked about disrupted households, interrupted religious services, traffic jams, and clogged communication systems. And within three weeks of the broadcast... There were at least 12,500 articles written about the broadcast and its impact. Whoa. And so what we're seeing here is that there is, um, there's like some, there's like two levels of fake news going on here. Okay. How do I, how do I, this is like fake storyception. So the fake story that people, that there was like this alien invasion. Right. Then had a fake story built around the fake story. Yes. About how big it was. Just propping it up even further. Mm-hmm. Fake on fake on fake. And the most important thing to mention about what could motivate this is that a lot of people, editorialists specifically, people writing editorials, were calling on the radio industry to not let something like this happen again. Mm. Because, and this is the thing we have to realize, is that in 1938, radio was still kind of new. Mm. And there was one group of people who were uh, very unhappy about radio's ascent and that was the people who were working in newspapers. They had uh, lost some of their advertising revenue and already they had lost a lot of advertising revenue because 1938, Great Depression. That'll do it. And that they thought that on a long enough time scale, the radio might result in the newspaper becoming obsolete. Radio killed the newspaper star. Exactly. So War of the Worlds was almost like an opportunity for the old medium to talk about why the new medium is bad. And here's, here, yeah, here's a quote. Um, the nation as a whole continues to face the danger of incomplete misunderstood news over a medium which has yet to prove it has been competent to perform the news job. Oh, ouch. Which was uh, the editor, and pu- which was uh, wrote a newspaper industry trade journal called The Editor and Publisher. <laughs> so... Basically, it was trying to build the story that the people who are managing radio stations were being irresponsible Mm -hmm. and being reckless. 
and that they needed to be regulated uh, and they needed to be uh, more sort of um, less trusted less. And all I can think about when I was hearing about this is um, the sort of, and this might, this might actually, this is still a little spicy, although it's like, you know, uh, six years ago now, the sort of very overstated role of Russian bots and Russian trolls in the 2016 election. Not to say that they weren't a thing, but like any objective study has shown that it was grotesquely overstated by especially mm-hmm. establishment television media personalities. Mm. The call was coming from inside the house all along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's what this feels. This, that's what this feels like, right? The, the new the newspaper here in this in, in this you know event was basically saying you can't trust the radio. Trust me, I'm lying about it. You know, like yeah. that's. That it's it's a very ironic. Uh, I'm sure they were self aware about it, but it feels like it lacks self awareness. It, it just shows that like um, there's sort of a cycle to when new media forms become popular. The old mm-hmm. media form, which is losing market share, tends to try and sow doubt or worry about the authenticity or worthwhile or danger present in the new media form. It happened mm-hmm. with television. Uh, a lot of people. I don't know if this is the thing that, but like when we were kids, a lot of Still talk was about how television's going to rot your brain, make you dumb. Yeah, the internet. And now all the TV news people are talking about how the internet's going to make you dumb and can't trust anything you read on that internet. It's true. Oh, except on social media. You can always trust Twitter. Don't trust anything yeah. that you read on the internet. Believe me, I'm one of the anchors that got America into the Iraq war. Like, you know. <laughs> Look, everything on Twitter is hand fact-checked right now by Elon himself. So I, I think... I think we're pretty good. We have unwavering faith in Elon Musk and we'll oh, be and every and society will be perfect. Just Elon Musk will happen and society will be perfect. Um an interesting little tidbit to this is that um, one of the people who called on people to step in was a newspaper mogul by the name of William Randolph Hearst. Ah. Uh, he said that broadcasters need to police themselves, lest the government step in, and that uh, basically wanted like the FCC to uh, review things and like uh, like like they, like basically like he was like radio's a menace and it needs to be stopped now. Very famous little bit of trivia here. William Randolph Hearst, famous for being one of the most lyingest, lyingest media uh-huh, moguls uh-huh, ever. Uh-huh, like, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. getting America into a war in Spain for no reason. And uh, famously was the inspiration behind a certain character named Charles Foster Kane, who would be the main protagonist slash villain of a movie called Citizen Kane, which was made by Orson Welles a few years later. Oh, wow. <laughs> What are they? What are these connections? I, this also reminds me a lot of, you know, I'm a comic book guy. This reminds me a lot of the com- the comic code authority. Same sort of thing where it was like, these are dangerous for children. You need to, you we need to regulate these. And like, they never were able to pass anything to regulate them, but it scared the publishers enough to like start self-regulating and then come up with all these harsh, you know, comic code guidelines of like, we can't do this anymore. We can't do that anymore. Cause we have, you know, we have to prove that we're not an evil media, uh, evil form of media. Now, okay, so 
if I get my comic book history right, which I did take a class of comic book history, so I might be right on this, that basically, like basically somebody saying, fuck the Comics Code Authority, we're going to make something that's not approved and see what happens is basically the beginning of the Bronze Age of comics. Kind of, sort of. I mean, it, it gets fuzzy, but like one of them, one of like the, the, down, like the start of the downfall of the Comics Code Authority was, people would say, would be uh, the time that Stan Lee wanted to publish a comic book about... It was a very like anti-drug message um, in a Spider-Man comic. And even though it was like anti, it was like, you know, an anti-drug message in the comic book industry where everybody's on drugs. <laughs> well, even though it was even though it was meant to be like a hey, kids, don't do drugs sort of a thing. The Comics Code Authority was like, well, you mentioned drugs in it, so you can't publish it. And then Stan Lee was like, well. I'm going to do it anyway. And then they did it and it was fine. And then it's, it just sort of went downhill from uh, the comics code sort of went downhill from there. It lost a lot of power and not that it really had any, it's just it, the only power it had. Cause it was all self-regulating. The only power it had was what the publishers themselves put on it. They're just like, we had no one will buy our comics if they don't have this sticker on it. And people were like, I don't even know what that sticker means. I'll just buy a comic. Well, as we'll learn in a second, don't underestimate the power of uh, horrible self-regulation. Um, I'm just imagining, though, like in like the 70s being like, Dr. Strange here, kids, telling you don't do drugs. Now I'm mm-hmm. going to go fly through this LSD like trip mm-hmm. of a this comic book. mindscape of colors and shapes that are bizarre and fantastical. I know, I know when the Bronze Age started because we already discussed this on this podcast and it is firmly when they stopped taking, they stopped smoking weed and they started doing coke. That's that is when it. the Bronze Age started. You're about accurate. But here's another thing that might be another thing that is indicative of if there was a panic, why there might have been one. Um, in Newark, there was one case where a uh, 20 families did rush out of their houses Um, Because part of the broadcast that the Martian used gas attacks on people and a bunch of people were running out of their hands with wet handkerchiefs over their mouths and trying to flee because they believed that there had been a gas raid and they were blocking up their house. And uh, when people left their homes, they called the police uh, seeking advice for protective measures against the raids because... A lot of them read or heard parts of the radio broadcast and were under the impression that they were about to be raided by Germans, that it was a German invasion of the United States. And keep in mind that September 30th, one month before the broadcast, was the Munich Agreement, which was when the European powers got together and agreed to give Adolf Hitler the Sudetenland, which is a part of Czechoslovakia that had a large ethnic German population. And then October 1st, Germans basically annexed that part of the country, and uh, tensions were pretty high and by this time next year world war ii would have started yeah they're nazi aliens so you can imagine people were on edge <laughs> um, a little bit yeah that makes sense to me <laughs> why why people would be freaking out a little bit yeah so like there was a definite uh sign at the times that like Tension was high. Yes. Uh, Germany was like, you know, getting more and more bold in its violation of the uh, of the post-World War One peace accords and stuff like that. And people were like thinking that we're, le- we're moving towards another world war soon. So then a gas attack, which gas attacks were one of the most infamous images of the first world war yeah i guess like i guess there's a lot of americans listen to this show and you don't learn a lot about world war one in american schools but we know um, about the like mustard gas okay and trench foot i know those terms well well gas warfare was one of the sort of innovations of the first world war and was one of the more horrific 
images that people took home with mm-hmm. them. So you can imagine a, a gas attack would be pretty big. And so that th- those are like the main things that I'm like, okay, there's a lot of reasons why people would panic if they were thinking that it was yeah, Germans. Yeah, that's fair. Because I guess if you just were listening to the radio and you heard in the butt because you were listening to your favorite ventriloquist ventriloquist, and then you had to you turned it over and you didn't hear that it was aliens and you just heard that it was like an invasion and stuff was going down you might think with with this context you might think oh who would do that would would be the potentially the germans and we don't want that and we're scared right now yes so that makes it makes sense yeah. Did a million people do that? Probably not. But the thing Probably is, we also not. can see that the newspapers were trying to uh, discredit the radio industry at the time. And so they kind of overblew the uh, the panic in order to make it a big deal. And so it's like the fake news story is that there was a fake news story that was uh, prolifically believed. So it's I feel like this is why I need a Yemen on this because it's profoundly meta. A fake news story about people believing a fake news story. Yeah. Speak on that. What are your thoughts? Well, these sorts of you know moral panics are nothing new and if you think well even for something like halloween you know razor blades in the trick-or-treat candy for the kids Mm. or if i remember correctly there's some well maybe many years ago i believe it was oprah or some of these other daytime talk show people who uh started raising concerns about I believe they were called rainbow parties. Oh, God. Yes, I remember this. School-age kids getting caught up in all sorts of very unbelievable sort of uh, organized sex acts involving different shades of chapstick or lipstick and so yeah. on. Can I add one? Can I, can I add one to this? That is one of my favorite, one of my favorite anecdotes of a thing that happened to me in the real world. And it's one of the funniest moments of my 34 year life. Mm-hmm. So Kelly and I were out for breakfast at this like small Greek restaurant near our old apartment in Toronto. And we were eating breakfast next to another, like it was a very quiet restaurant. So there's somebody on the other side of the room having a very serious conversation. This mom was talking to her two sons, having a very serious conversation because she wanted to make sure that they thoroughly knew about the threat of the Momo challenge which was infamously like this fake thing that like kids were getting caught up in a challenge of doing more and more dangerous things from some creepy picture that would message them. (sighs) And the kids were like, mom, this is fake. We don't give a shit. And she was just like, if you don't take this seriously, I'm taking away your Minecraft or something like that. And I was like, oh, these poor kids. (laughs) But their mom's like, you have to take this extremely fake story seriously right now. It's just like having a very, you know, a heart to heart sit down conversation with a child about Tide Pods. Yeah. Like, yes, they're delicious. But you can't eat them. Exactly. I want some. Save some for me. But like in a way, a lot of these things start up and people get and people push these sorts of stories, not because they care about whether or not it's true. It's it's what these stories represent, like stranger danger or all these other fears of, you know, sexuality or invasion or other people who don't look like you and things like that. So like in, you can sort of think about it as having morality messages, just like old uh, fairy tales and so on. Right. Does it matter if two kids named Hansel and Gretel went into the forest and uh, a, a old witch tried to eat them? Well, no, not really. It doesn't matter. The point of the story is, you know, be afraid of old women living in forests in gingerbread houses or something like that. Yeah. I, I know, it's been a while. 
urban legends have a lot of that too. <laughs> like the 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 people who get killed when they're at makeout lane after dark. A lot of horror movies have that. Like you know, yeah, these people died because they because they, did, they were they did the sexy sex. things when yeah. they were they weren't that's in a married killed. relationship. I mean, yeah, that's this is what the whole movie um, like Cabin in the Woods was about. It was just like all these tropes about uh, about those things. Yeah. Now I got I I, I saved the best for last because there is one other. Um, factor at play of desiring to uh, really overstate the importance of the War of the Worlds broadcast and its uh, pa- moral panic. Okay. And that is a young 23-year-old man by the name of Orson Welles. <laughs> you keep hammering home that he was 23. Like, it he's makes so me, young. It makes me feel like, well, what have I accomplished? Does my, have did you I caused a national panic did, yet? <laughs> did I do anything when I was 23 that has its own Wikipedia page? Probably not. If you did, you probably don't want it to be. Yeah. Um, so on the same day, Orson Welles became basically over an overnight celebrity. Everybody was yeah. talking about Orson Welles after the uh, the War of the Worlds mm-hmm. broadcast. And in the interviews, like the next day, he was like, oh, I didn't invent it. I was unaware of what was going on. Like, no, nah, it's fine. Um, he wrote a book um, called This is Orson Welles. <laughs> That said that it was uh, it was based on a different radio hoax that had already happened by somebody named Ronald Knox and uh, called Broadcasting the Barricades, which was about a riot overtaking London, which er- aired in 1926. But anytime he tried to get pinned down on these things, he would say stuff like all kinds of people reacted in all kinds of ways. Some people liked it. I don't know. They called the station and some even reported that they had seen Martians landing in their backyards. But basically, um, he was just always like very like coy and playful about this. He always found it very mm-hmm. funny. Um, but what happened was that the War of the Worlds made Orson Welles a national name overnight, and very soon he used that to go over to Hollywood, where he made several of the most famous movies ever made, including, as I mentioned earlier, Citizen Kane, which is considered to this day the best movie ever made. And I've def- I've definitely seen it. This is a movie I actually have seen, and oh. it is legitimately yeah, good. No, me too. That's why I said that, because I've I've seen it. It's yeah, it's legitimately good for a movie from the 40s. And and keep in mind it has a lot There's of like Rosebud in it. Rosebud is in it. The yeah. general plot of the movie, spoiler alert, is basically that at the beginning a media mogul, a newspaper mogul named Charles Foster Kane dies. And yeah. then what happens is that it's documented by his like house servant that his last word was Rosebud. A regular citizen, that Kane. You know what I mean? A real, a real f- a felt of citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. I've seen. I have. I've, I've not seen the movie. I'm sorry. I can't continue <laughs> this lie. It's all good. It's all good. But his last. Most people who aren't movie nerds or a hundred years old have not seen this movie. Um, so his last words when he dies are the word Rosebud. The, the whole movie is based around a journalist who's interviewing people that were close to him about what this could possibly mean. And basically tells the story about a young idealistic man who raises to fame and then uh, fortune and fame basically corrupts him and turns him into a horrible mogul who is who becomes very rich but then alienates everybody in his life and lives alone in a castle. And then there's a scene where he Ugh, trashes a room and the it's really dream. great. The dream. Right. Yeah, but also Citizen Kane was huge for innovating a whole bunch of cinematic techniques and stuff like that, like deep focus and all sorts of like oh. really nerdy movie stuff. Okay. Um, so it, it's it's it, it, there's a reason why it's considered the best movie ever, and it's not just pretentious stuff. It, it's legitimately a good movie if you ever feel like watching it. They didn't even need all the colors for that one. Mm-hmm. They, they were like, 
Movies got colors. We don't need them. Yeah. Um, speaking of self-regulation, as you were talking about the Comics Code Authority, he was, he was a rising star in Hollywood, and then he moved to Europe for a few years. And then when he came back, he had a very hard time working because he ended up on page 155 Uh-oh. to 157 of something called The Red Channels, Uh-oh. which was an anti-communist publication because he was a communist um, and basically found himself uh, as a prominent member of what's called the Hollywood Blacklist. Yeah, that'll happen. So uh, basically, this was a thing where a bunch of people, including people like Walt Disney and Ronald Reagan, drew up a list of everybody who was a socialist yeah. <laughs> or who had any associations with left wing politics or just liked FDR, basically, yeah, and those, put them on those a- cool, trustworthy fellows like yeah. Ronald Reagan and and Walt Disney. Those cool yeah. fellows with nothing wrong about them. And in an act of brave self regulation, they made this list of all of these people and basically refuse to ever let them get any jobs in Hollywood ever again. Oh, the courage, the bravery. It's theorized that Orson Welles might have written some scripts under like a pseudonym and like passing the people who weren't on the list who then went to publish them. Okay. But essentially he, he, his career never really recovered from this and his, uh, his last decades, despite the fact that he was apparently like a really nice guy, uh, really like, um, like he was just like, like he was like this, like, you know, like he was like a leftist activist and he like, um, like, you know, had this very, uh, obviously like amazing mind when it came to understanding story and cinema and stuff. And then just, couldn't do anything anymore and he had to go back to Europe basically to do stuff. Well, well, we have a resident or uh, Orson Welles expert here on <laughs> on the podcast. I I remember you introducing our guest this way. Um, Orson Wellologist. An Orson Wellologist. What are you like? What? Yeah. What's 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 calling out to you? Anything on your on your mind? Uh, I, I do have a bit of a confession. Uh, li- literally, all I know about Orson Welles, I learned from watching mm-hmm. Thinking the Brain and select Perfect. episodes of uh, the canceled all too soon '90s sitcom The Critic. Oh. That's about the most you need to know. Uh, yeah, basically. But yeah. Well, that- focuses on his later years where he became, I don't know, a bit of a joke. Uh, yes. He seemed chubbier, crankier, and, um, you know, re- resorted to uh, recording commercials and uh, other, you know, um, roles that were beneath him. Yeah, to, he, to yes. people started making fun of him because, yeah, as he got, got older, he put on a lot of weight. And as he couldn't get a lot of work done, he ended up doing things like commercial voiceovers he did a lot of adverts uh there's a famous video of or not a video famous recording of him trying to do a voiceover for a frozen peas commercial where basically he just gets cranky and yells at the director because he thinks the director is basically a dumbass because this like you know this like this absolute like genius of cinema and like uh, storytelling is doing a fucking frozen peas commercial (laughs) um and uh he eventually like yeah he gets really pissed off and walks out i believe and And then he died after doing a television interview in 1985 of a heart attack. And then the next year, his last role he ever did in his life came out. Yes. And uh, and Scott, do you know what that role is? Was he also in Glass Onion, A Knives Out? (laughs) <laughs> mystery because that Didn't movie had two, that movie had two dead people in it oh wow yeah what a surprise that one did so i'm thinking the hat trick mm. with orson wells his last film was playing a robot that eats planets by the name of unicron 
in the Transformers movie. That kind of kicks ass, though. The cast of that film was remarkably stacked, and it also included Robert Stack. Ha ha ha. Leonard Nimoy was there as well, so oh, pretty wow. crazy. Yeah, honestly, good one to go out on. It's it, Well, you could imagine, though, it might uh, doing a glorified toy commercial would not have been probably as prominent as it is today. There hadn't even been a Michael Bay movie about Transformers at that point. For real, though, Unicron was an iconic role. Yeah. He acted the hell out of that, you know, giant toy that eats planets. Yeah, he never phoned it in. He never phoned in his uh, his performances, never. even even if they were a little embarrassing. And also the other thing, too, that is, is important to mention is that uh, the War of the Worlds has this whole story. Now, let me tell you if you if you if this um, if you can think about the cultural significance of a novel like this. So, War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells comes out uh-huh. in the late 1800s, like the 1890s, in the in Britain, in the UK. Okay, and it is about Britain being invaded and conquered by a technologically superior civilization that has absolutely zero like zero things to stand up to their will and in doing so destroys and devastates the entire country now if there's anything that the British might have been engaging in a little self-reflection yeah (laughs) (laughs) you gotta say that the Martians were doing a colonialism basically like the idea is that H.G. Wells was talking about colonialism through his through War of the Worlds and I guess it ended up becoming a movie with tom cruise and it wasn't even a terrible movie either i remember liking it it was was a bad movie but it wasn't a terrible movie yeah it comes from that stage of cinema before everything was was about superheroes so it was in the pre-superhero movie era of the 2000s yeah and it was i mean it was fine tom cruise was there he ran that was a good you moment know, when he runs. I like when he runs. I feel like there is uh, all these alien invasion and, you know, first contact films. The problem is that we always get off on the wrong foot. And and I'm glad you brought up the old Transformers movie there, Tristan, because, you know, if we had all just learned the universal greeting when we are, you mm. know, making first contact with uh, other alien species, so much, you know, this misunderstanding could have been avoided if we just said, Ba weep, gra na weep, nitty bong, and offer them, you know, an energon goodie. Thank, see, this is what I've been saying. That's what I've been saying this whole podcast. You've been saying ba weep, gra na weep, nitty bong? The whole time under my breath. Yeah, I've been saying it. I don't know if the microphone picked it up at all. I'm surprised that you know all of those <laughs> words. I know every word. Oh, there are a lot of them. Yeah. This is like when I did that that bit on Twitter where I said, I've read every single comic on Earth, uh, ask me anything. And then I revealed very quickly that I had only ever read Bazooka Joe comics. Mm. <laughs> Classics. It is interesting to think, though, that Orson Welles sort of got like got his start doing an aliens thing and then finished off doing an aliens thing. So that's yeah. kind of nice. A little bookend <laughs> to that to that story, to that career. But alas, I don't know. Another victim of McCarthyism and the second Red Scare. Sadly. I'm probably going to find out afterwards that he was actually secretly shitty, as I as uh, as always happens when you say something positive of a person these days. I was going to say, so. you said a lot of like pretty positive things, and I'm like, I just know we're going to get comments about like, um, actually, Orson Welles is canceled, so... Yeah, I will just claim ignorance. All I saw was he was a guy who made some movies and liked unions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And what does he want for that? A participation trophy? That's oh, my Jeff Dunham no. Jeff Dunham's back. He's back, baby. Now we can kind of reassess, like, maybe this isn't a great 
idea to see about how people will react when we actually see extraterrestrials. And I do think that I'm under the impression that it would not cause the end of the world. I actually think that um, we are grossly overthinking how much of an impact it'll actually have on people's day-to-day lives. It might cause the end of the world if it was Unicron. I mean, yeah, because he eats planets. He would eat the planet. So that's something you'll look out for. What about for? him and Galactus are having like a Lady in the Tramp moment and they're both oh, like eating the Earth like from the other sides? The, yeah, that's cute. I ship them. We're going to keep shipping people. Yeah, that, shipping that was fictional very popular characters. with the show, wasn't it? Yeah, very um, Speaking fun. of which, speaking of which, this is the first podcast that we have recorded since Spotify Wrapped came out and it was very nice to see everybody coming oh out and gosh. showing all their thousands of hours that they have been listening to us banter like this holy cow thank you to everyone who's who listens to the show even if we weren't in your in your top five uh there were a lot of people who we were i know that a lot of people don't even listen on spotify so it's hard to even know what you know they were like i don't even know but like it's just by listening to this show it's so amazing and, and it's just it just it gave us a lot of good serotonin that day and a lot of good dopamine and i literally messaged good him chemicals. and saying hey scott if you want some dopamine uh spotify yeah. rap came out and people are posting about us i needed that so thank you to everyone um and thank you to our guests yeah, uh, yeah. Dr. Chen, where can people find you if they want to, you know, hear more about your thoughts and smart things? Uh, honestly, I mean, I still do technically have a Twitter account, but really all, all I use that for is to watch the, you know, slow downward spiral of all that. And, you know, the memes every once in a while. Oh, yeah. But um, I'm, I'm not super active. You can find me there. It's uh, at shinypants0. For uh, nice. anything else, you know, I challenge you to complete actually one of the assignments I give to my research methods students, which is to uh, cyberstalk me. Uh, see oh. what you can find about me publicly online. Um, and it's been an interesting experience to see what people can dig up from my past. Okay. So thousands of people listen to this show. Are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's out there. You can cut or not. All right. All right. Um, but uh, for anybody, for if you want to cyber stalk us, um, and by that I mean follow at Probs Not Aliens on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, you can also do that because uh, this show, we tend to post like, you know, pictures and links and um, retweet all fan arts. Retweet all the fans. We love... We love you all. It's so much fun. And uh, Tristan, you have stuff that you do outside of this podcast on a on a little web on a little startup website called YouTube. Is this correct? This is true. Yeah my uh, my main my main squeeze is YouTube. Uh, I make a YouTube channel called Step Back. And I actually just released a video today that is doing very well about why the political co- it's called the political compass must die. Oh, uh, it seems to be. It's my most clickbait title I think I've ever thought up. But Scott, if people were like, man, I really like Scott's humor and his his <laughs> jabs. I wonder what it would be like to watch him eat a whole bunch of disgusting sandwiches. Where would they want to go for that? Uh, you can go to YouTube.com. YouTube.com slash, slash NerdSync Eats a Scooby Sandwich. Um, we'll see if that pops up with anything. I have a YouTube channel called NerdSync, N-E-R-D-S-Y-N-C. I recently made a video uh, with me and my partner Emily, where we made a whole bunch of disgusting sandwiches from the cartoon Scooby Doo, and we ate them in real life, and it was gross. And that video started off uh, like, oh, you know, it had okay, it had, it had okay traction, and then just so something- much chocolate sauce. <laughs> 
there's so much chocolate sauce involved. Suddenly, for no reason, yesterday the algorithm picked it up, and it's getting uh, a decent amount of views. So I'm very happy about that. So you're about to make your uh, you're about to make your nerdy and quirky to answers in progress transition. I know. I'm just we're gonna have to switch it up. This is all I'm gonna be. I have so many requests of people being like, "Can you do disgusting Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles?" Yeah, pizzas you're doing next? pizzas. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Scott, Scott, I think um, I think you might have. This might be your thing now. <laughs> I'm just going to, you know how like there's like a, a binging with Babish where he'll try to make like gourmet versions of like food from movies and cartoons and shows and things. I'm going to do the disgusting one where I'm I'm going to fumble my way and like make an entire mess of my kitchen as I try to recreate something absolutely horrendous from a cartoon. So if that sounds like a good time, uh, links in the description of the of everything, show notes and such like that. And uh, hey, while you're there on your podcast app, leave us a review. Give us five stars if you want to. That'd be great. I just did a I just did a step back audience survey, and one of the questions was, "What are your hobbies?" And one person res- listed their hobbies as rating podcast four stars. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's on us. Um, but thank you to everyone who's been who's been leaving great reviews and tell your friends about the show. We uh, one of the things that was revealed from the Spotify Wrapped was that so many people have shared our show. It's it's amazing to see. So thank you so much to everyone who did that. And a great place to send people is just a simple website called PropsNetAliens.com. Just send people that link, and that's how we grow even more. And now that is all for tonight. Yeah. So. Until next time, friends, the truth is out there. Eh, probably. You know, I was going to keep, I was going to mention, should we have, since this is a podcast, it's basically like modern radio. Should we have our own puppet and do like a ventriloquism thing? I know Cap have a hand puppet like very close by for the one I used hey, for my video recently. Tristan, great news. You don't actually physically need one for a for, for a radio <laughs> show or podcast. Yeah, I don't exactly know how that works. Speak in a slightly different voice from yeah. a slightly different position relative to the microphone. That's got to be all it is, yeah? It's got to be all it is. Yeah, basically. Uh, if anyone's still listening to this, um, get, let, get, give us a cool name for our new puppet sidekick. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>